Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. He's been here. He's been there. Magic down the middle, just what I thought. A hook shot at 12. Good! He's been everywhere. Shot from there and a save and a rebound yes! score! Yes, Kings win the cup! Sobel. That's one small step for man. Ted Sobel. One giant leap for man. The man, the myth, the legend. What the hell's going on out here? Now, one-on-one with Ted Sobel. Welcome back to Touching Greatness, the podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. And... We're going to be talking a lot of hoops today, but we're going to start out a little bit different. We are with Mike Waldner, columnist for South Bay Daily Breeze. And how many years you've been there, Mike? About 115. <laughs> Give or take, what, a couple of decades? That's about it, yeah. More than 50 years. That's an unbelievable run. It really is. And, uh, again, before we start talking basketball, this is touching greatness, and I need to know, how great was it the other night that you were there covering the Tyler Skaggs, honoring him throughout the entire night in Anaheim, and turns out to be a no-hitter for the Angels. It was just the most amazing, emotional uh, event. Well, I think amazing is the uh, correct word. Uh, you know, it was, it's hard to deal with anything like that when you have to write or talk about it, and you know, you get this empty feeling and you're just trying to uh, express yourself. And I didn't write that night, but I wrote about him previously uh, via his high school coach, Rob Duran. And the mother of one of the players emailed me. And I guess the nicest thing was she said her son felt, her son who was his teammate, felt that I kind of captured just the situation, the scene, or whatever you want to call it, and that was kind of touching because uh, it is very, very hard to do. Just the circumstances, though. I mean, the way that the whole place was set up, they had a huge crowd there. The emotions were there pregame, and to end up postgame and that incredible ceremony where everybody took their number 45 jerseys off and put it down on the mound. It was just unbelievable to watch. Yeah, you just tears come to your eye at this is you know what a genuine moment yeah it really was an incredible thing and uh i don't know how much you got a chance to talk to tyler i didn't know him well i only had a chance maybe a handful of times but he always seemed like such a really nice kid well i was getting to know him better this year and uh rob his coach had spent a month or so in europe he's retired uh biking oh. and I told him a little about Rob. Rob had been e- Rob would email me about something I wrote, whether he liked it or disliked it. And this has been going on for 20 years, and that's how come I knew he was in Europe. And I just mentioned it to, to Tyler, and he, you know, he kind of perked up. Hey, that sounds so neat. Yeah. You know, when you see him, say hi to him for me. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's yeah, really sad, but uh, life goes on as we know it. Are you almost as amazed as I am at the off-season in the NBA now? Because I think it's more popular than the first three months of the regular season. Or am I wrong? Well, 
it's kind of today so much is dictated by both the TV and the talk radio, and that's our little community. Yep. I don't know how much the average person feeds off of all that. Uh, I'm more attuned to what maybe some of the people say at the gym or something, and there are times when we're all wrapped up in this stuff, and I can go to the gym three days in a row and nobody says a word, and I'm going, they're not on the radio. They're not listening to the radio. Yeah. The, but we listen to each other. We read each other. <laughs> we talk to each so, other too much. <laughs> and one of the things I would say specific to, you, to your question, though, is it's easier to talk about what you don't know than the games. And this is, uh, I don't know what I'm looking for the right word, but it's this is fodder for the talk radio people. So they can go on and on and on and have opinions, and it's okay because nobody really knows any better than they do. So it's it kind of it's like well, one of my friends who works for ESPN talks about having to feed the monster. You know, kind of think about that. That's basically what it's become, and so there is this year-round now noise, and there's. The the off season is now the season in effect, or the other season. It is. It is. It. But it's you know I don't, I don't think it's just us talking because if you look at um, the way they everything on Instagram and and Twitter, I mean it's so popular. Everybody wants to know what's happening now. Again, you know I don't know when it comes down to TV ratings and all that, but you know the ratings were way down in the NBA this year overall. Yet the off season. That's all we're talking about. Except this isn't a good year to count the ratings on the NBA because one of the teams wasn't in the U isn't a U.S. team. Yep. And the ratings are the U.S. So if it had been Detroit, the ratings would have been higher. Well, I'm not even just talking about the finals. I'm just in in general, the ratings are down in the NBA. So and uh, and isn't that a product of a lot of people are now, or I don't know, I shouldn't say a lot, but people are now getting their television off of other devices. It all comes into play, that no doubt. That, you know, that aren't being uh, uh, recorded. So, and, and also, I'm not a fan of, uh, the, of, the, of the rating systems they use. Right. Because they're, uh, they're a snapshot, that's, but that's all they have to go by. Exactly. Exactly. So it's not an easy read. It's only uh, something you could take, you can generalize over, I think. But uh, yeah. tell the folks out there, Mike Waldner, you've been around covering hoops since the John Wooden days at UCLA and Freddie Schaus of the Lakers back at the old sports arena. That's a long time ago. Fortunately, I'm still alive. By the way, today's my birthday. So well, happy birthday. Thank you. I just thought about it. <laughs> you just figured it out. Huh? I just figured it out thinking, well, I really am old because I was there too. But you covered it, and I was just watching it. That's a whole different story. But that's how far you go back and uh, – how about the Lakers, the way they've evolved from the old days until now? I'm sure you remember when the sports arena was just half full. Oh, yes. The, uh, there, do you remember the counter? The counter? The, they had a, uh, 
a turnstile count that was that would there was a I don't know what you call it a like a screen hanging at one end of the arena. Okay. And as the turnstile, as people entered and the turnstile clicked, it was recorded in the arena. Vaguely, so I you, recall a good, you, a good memory. So you knew <laughs> you knew what the attendance count was. Right. And the reason I remember probably as the young reporters are in there watching it, towards the end of the first quarter, it would jump up. Oh, okay. It's like all these people, a couple hundred people more showed up. Oh. And so one of the, you know, so I may, I comment on it, and one of the veteran reporters sneers at me probably. <laughs> or it might have been nice, who knows. Yeah. But he goes, Lou Mose was the general manager. Yeah. Goes upstairs and starts spinning the turnstile. What? And I don't know if it was true or not. I didn't go. I didn't go. But I've never heard well, that. That is great. Well, Lou Mose, in a previous profession, was a newspaper circulation manager. Okay. And there are gimmicks you can use to pump up your circulation. And there was something I don't know if it still exists called ABC, uh, something like that. That. Uh, would check out your circulation numbers, and there were all kinds of rules that you had to adhere to, so that you could not phony your circulation numbers. Yeah. Uh, and I'll bet that was knew every trick in the book. That's great. So now I got to go back and look at the old attendance figures and just look at it and say, you know what? Uh, it's probably a several hundred less. <laughs> but uh, I. You, you knew Elgin Baylor, yep. or you know Elgin Still, Baylor, yes. and you know, you've heard him tell the stories. He and Wes talk about uh, getting on the back of a truck and driving through the streets mm -hmm. uh, with a megaphone, trying to get people to come to the Laker games. Now, whether they really, really did that or not, I don't know. Tommy Hawkins it, swore they did that, and he's the one who held the megaphone more than anybody. <laughs> yeah. They did call Elgin Motormouth, but I think Tommy's the one who deserved it. <laughs> Oh, yes. El Elgin was constantly talking. Uh, I, well, in those days, uh, if you won the division, you did not play in the first round of the playoffs. So you'd have a week or 10 days or so off, and what the team would do, both the market itself and to create a better atmosphere for inter-squad games, they'd go to Antelope Valley High School or something and put on a, an exhibition game against themselves. And I rode the bus with them uh, at least once. And I can yes. remember, you know, I'm the only reporter, maybe one other person, but I may have been the only reporter, and I'm young and dumb, so I make this trip <laughs> with them. And... Our old friend, Mitch Chortkoff, was the PR guy then. Yeah. And I can remember Elgin, from the time they got on the bus to the high school, Elgin never stopped talking. It seems <laughs> in my memory. Yeah. Was he and saying he, anything? <laughs> uh, just good-naturedly needling people. Yep. Uh, you know, he, he, he gave everyone a nickname. Exactly. Uh, Mitch was the sloth. <laughs> and he, 
if you can picture Mitch, I know your listeners can't, but that kind of embodied him. Uh, Jerry West was Zeke from Cabin Creek. Yeah, and that was Elgin who came up with that or Chick? I'm pretty sure it was Elgin, and Jerry isn't from He's not from Cabin Creek. Yeah, he he never liked that. that. <laughs> oh, he hated it. And he's I can hardly pronounce it. He's from a little town called Chini. Right. And it, and <laughs> I, I I wonder where I, so where do they come up with Cabin Creek? <laughs> Is it in the neighborhood? I think, I think it's the consolidated high school that he went to. Oh, okay. I think I'm not positive. I'd have right. to find my wife, who's a West Virginia native. Oh, okay. And she could tell us, uh, but that you know that's one of my memories of those teams uh, and those players, and they enjoyed themselves playing together. Yeah, it was a different world. <laughs> they weren't doing it for the big, big bucks, that's for sure. Not like they're doing it now. Oh uh, gosh. You have a Not great story, by the way, uh, like a road trip story from anywhere in the 60s? No, because, you know, we were a very small paper then and did not start traveling with the team uh, for about 20 years. Probably. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Uh, yeah, in those days, let's see, in fact... Even on the uh, in the playoffs? No, and uh, because we were, when I went to work for the paper... It was about a 20, right around 27,000 circulation, and it would grow over the years to over 100. And as we got around 50 or 60, uh, they felt they, they could afford to, uh, to travel. Uh, but I can remember when the Times did not travel sure. full-time with the team uh, or the examiner, uh, which were the you know, the two prominent uh, Los Angeles papers in those days. Yeah, I thought maybe you might have made a special trip even to, like, San Francisco for the Warriors games or whatever. Actually, I did one road trip. I don't remember if it was the playoffs or not, to San Francisco. My indelible memory <laughs> of, of the trip was I'm in the hotel waiting to get on the bus to go to the arena, and uh, Hot Rod Hundley, former player who became a fine broadcaster, was, in those days, to show you how small the operation was, he was working with Chick Hearn as yeah. the commentator. And that was only half his job. He was also the traveling secretary. <laughs> and Hot Rod had a reputation of being pretty flaky and kind of irresponsible. Okay. And... So what hotel did you end up in because of that? <laughs> no. but here's the, we're, we're in the lobby, and Chick comes up. And Chick was like Hot Rod's uncle. And looking over him, making sure he did, didn't screw things up. <laughs> uh, and there's something to do with a roster or an itinerary or something. And he comes up, and Chick, being, Chick if he liked you, he wasn't always going to be nice. He could be pretty caustic if he. If, yes, he could. And, he, and again, it was only to people he liked. Exactly. Uh, so he starts barking up to Hot Rod <laughs> about something that the traveling secretary is supposed to be on top of, and Hot Rod kind of looks at him, gives him this vague, like, oh, "Who cares?" Look, <laughs> and Chip 
just gets mad and storms off. Rod reaches into his pocket in his jacket, pulls out the list, and looks at me and just starts grinning and says, I got it all taken care of. (laughs) But he he just couldn't resist needling Chick back. Yeah. Oh, they were great together. And, you know, Rod was... I don't, know, I, I don't know if I'd call him flaky. I didn't know him that well, but he was goofy and fun and self-professed. I mean, he he loved being that way. Well, and also, uh, as you know better than most, a lot of former athletes who become commentators yes. are pretty lazy. <laughs> they just they just kind of show up and talk. Yep. Well, I can remember early on when Rod was doing it. And it was, it might have been the NC2A first round tournament or something, but he's doing a broadcast and I'm just right next to him. Uh, in those days, sure. they didn't give them special this or that. Yep. They're on press row and I just happened to have the next seat over and I could see how serious and how hard Rod was working. Uh, this is TV. And I can remember they're running a replay, and he's commenting on it. And he's got his fingers tracing the play that he's describing. And for some reason, that helped him. But he was very serious about his broadcasting career. Absolutely. And became very good at it. One of the better uh, commentators, and as you say, you know, he, he had a good sense of humor. He was quick with the quip. I mean, so everything went together, but he did know the game. He knew the game inside out. Yeah, I talked to Rod. uh, It might have been the last time he was ever at Staples Center, and uh, we actually had a really, really nice chat, and he did discuss about how Chick was not just a mentor, but he learned preparation from Chick, and he Mm -hmm. took it dead serious because this was – this was going to be his career as opposed to a lot of guys, they're just sort of killing time. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, especially if it's somebody you knew as an athlete, it's fun to watch the ones who take it seriously, you know, and become better and better and very, very good. And some of, some of those guys are just, and women are just so natural at it that it's almost scary. Yeah. Uh, but the really good ones do their homework. Uh, I can remember, I won't use the name, there's no reason not the guy publicly, but... Oh, please do, Mike, you're no fun. A former (laughs) star major league pitcher who was kind of lazy, and he he was doing... That narrows it down to several thousand, but go ahead. But he was doing the Yankees, (laughs) and a guy who had played for the Yankees and was now playing for the Dodgers... We're just chatting about broadcasters for some reason, ex-players, and he tells me, he says, the guy never talked to any of the pitchers. Oh, wow. So he'd be talking, he says, we're in the bullpen, and we've got the broadcast on. And he's talking about somebody's curveball, and we look at each other and go, he doesn't throw a curve. (laughs) And, you know, stuff like that. And it's like, one one of the guys who I knew very well uh, was Ken Brett, yeah, George sure. Brett's older brother. Uh, you know, they're it's an El Segundo family, and I had watched the 
them as boys play at El Segundo High School. When Brett was doing the Angels, when the uh, the writers would have their pregame with the manager in the uh, dugout, yep. he was one of the very very rare broadcasters who would who would attend that, and he would he had a little notebook, he'd stand behind the writers, never ask the question. He was letting the professionals ask the questions, and every once in a while he'd jot a note down. Uh, then he'd go over to the visiting team, and there would be a player or a coach who he had played with, because he'd played on a half, gosh, I think 10 teams. Yeah, really. Uh, and he'd pick the guy's brain for, for a couple of minutes, and then he'd have stuff to tell the listeners, the viewers, because he's doing TV, uh, stuff that they wouldn't know. And he's going to get something from uh, an ex-teammate that I'm not going to get. But also he understood that asking questions, listen to the professional broadcasters, listen to the writers, and A, you're going to learn something I can remember, this kind of getting off tangent here, I can remember a conversation with Fred Kendall, catcher out of Torrance High, Jason Kendall's father. And again, this is somebody I'd known for years, and we're we're in the visiting team dugout, and I've got some questions about catching, so I'm getting kind of a clinic on catching. And Rex Hudler comes up, and he just stood there for 10 minutes and listened. And then when it was done, he said, I just learned some things. And I would not have asked those questions. And that was one of the reasons why Hutter was a pretty good uh, broadcaster. Yeah, isn't that a perfect example, though, how you, like Rod did with Chick, these guys are learning Mm -hmm. from guys who know how to do their job. And it's just a matter of, hey, a little prep work, and I'm really a lot better. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and I mean, and since you're a broadcaster, you have to watch some of the stuff that I'm talking about and go like, the athlete just spent five minutes doing this or doing that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it is what it is. <laughs> yes, it is. All right, we're speaking with Mike Waldner, columnist for the South Bay Daily Breeze for the last several hundred decades. And Mike, let's talk Lakers and Clippers off season. You got. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George going over to the Clippers, the last-second deal that uh, it shocked everybody. I'm wondering, did it shock you? Well, on the surface, of course, because you know, nobody knew that was happening, but, it, but that's pretty much the way things are today where players and agents are making deals. Uh, it's really an extension of what's been going on, but not at this higher level. Uh, in the past, uh, an agent might go to a general manager in any sport and say, hey, my guy wants out. And I've heard of situations, and you probably have too, where the GM told the agent, well, go make a deal. Yeah. You go make the deal, and if I like it, I'll take it. Yeah, now they don't wait for the GM. <laughs> they don't care. <laughs> yeah. The Well, you know, there's all these non-tampering rules, but if I'm a player and I've got a buddy, or he's not even a buddy, but I think I want to play with so-and-so, why wouldn't I get together? 
go back and talk to, you know, can we have a seance and talk to Mickey Mantle or Joe <laughs> DiMaggio? Joe DiMaggio would probably say, I'd have left New York in a minute to go play with my brother in Boston. Sure. Uh, I mean, so they have a freedom which they're using. Uh, so I, I don't find fault with the players. I get some email from readers uh, who are just livid, you know, and it's like, hey, you were a dentist. You are, one of them is a dentist. Yeah. If you want to shut your business down, if you want to move, if you want to go into a group, get out of a group, you can do whatever you want. Uh, so if yeah, freedom of movement is what they've been all trying to do forever, and uh, a lot of them should be uh, bending over and uh, heading over to Kurt Flood's uh, grave site and thank him. Yes, 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 and, and another yes. Uh, <laughs> so, so the fact that they did this so quietly is kind of, hey, this is the one player slash agent who wanted to do it low-key, without a lot of noise, and they figured out they could get it done better by doing this. I mean, and we've been told that they uh, approached uh, uh, KD and maybe, I don't know who else, but they worked something out that worked. And uh, rather than have a disgruntled player on their hand, the Thunder went, okay, let's do this. And then they made the second deal uh, to move uh, Westbrook and probably are going to do something to move Chris Paul. Uh, if anybody wants that contract, good luck. Uh, and also that personality. That too. <laughs> the, uh, he has. He is well paid by the wine, but go ahead. Yeah. He, <laughs> he, he appears to be, he, he thinks he has too many answers. And at a certain point in life, you have to realize that I don't have all the answers. And everybody should. I think his biggest problem might be one that's very similar to Kobe Bryant's. He wants everybody to play like he does. And Yeah, he could be just overbearing in that way. Yeah. It's like the expectations are, hey, I'm great. Why can't you be? And that always makes for a really bad manager or coach, too, in sports. There are different ways of approaching these things. And because now if, you, if you need to play with somebody who approaches it exactly the way you do, okay, use your freedom and work that out. But if your teammate has a different approach and, not, and he's not lazy or anything, he just, he's wired differently than you are, accept it. If you can't accept it, you're the problem. Uh, yeah, by the way, the fact that he's not 25 anymore and we're talking about Chris Paul, uh, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, Jerry West and Elgin Baylor, from everything I know personally, anybody who has covered them knows, they got along very, very well. And Jerry looked They're, up to Elgin, too. He was sort of a mentor for the uh, small-town kid coming to L.A., yeah, so you, you've got the country kid and the big city kid. Yep. The D.C. guy and the kid from a ham, little, little, little town in West Virginia. The white guy, black guy. Except, you know, we, you can pile all these things in. 
they played together seamlessly. Uh, it, it wasn't pick and roll, but they played a two-man isolation game. Thank you, Fred Schaus. <laughs> that is very, very similar to what you see today. But they, you know, not at the exclusion of their teammates. Go back and look at the stats. Even when he was scoring 25, 30 points a game, Jerry West had assists. Sure. Uh, Jerry Elgin. West. Yeah. Uh, One of the great and, passers in the history of the game people forget about. Yeah. So, so guys can get along when they're totally different. Uh, I'll really go back into history. Is, well, it's about the same time. Uh, Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale. Completely different personalities. Completely different backgrounds. New York kid, a Valley kid, and a Valley kid when the Valley was still half uh, farms. Yep. Uh, and they were excellent teammates. They complimented one another. Uh, now it's not the same as complimenting one another on a basketball court because pitched the next day. They were playing at the <laughs> yeah. same time. Exactly. Uh, but they but they knew how to play together. Uh, and to kind of bring us up to today, and you know the, the Clippers and the Lakers, how these guys all play together, how their games mesh, and how they are coached, and the systems that evolve, and they will evolve. What we see the first week of the season will not be what we see necessarily the first week of January. Uh, we we know because we've watched Doc Rivers now for several years. He's pretty good at adjusting. He adjusted in the fly on the fly last season when they made their big trade. We don't know Frank Vogel on a real close, up close, da da da. But it was funny at the press conference yesterday. I got one minute with Vogel alone before they ripped them away yes. <laughs> to do TV. Uh, but the question I asked him and the answer that I got indicated to me that he's got a he's not just a one note coach. He'll he'll make some adjustments. Uh well, he better. <laughs> and yeah, but do the real question as you and I were talking about uh yesterday is how the players mix together. They uh they've done a good job of building their depth. They may be better off than if they'd gotten almost anybody other than Kawhi to add. Uh, and we, you know, one of the things the Dodgers have done in recent years... Oh, by the way, before you continue on, Mike, uh, we're talking about Anthony Davis' news conference yesterday in yep. Lakerland and that he joined LeBron. By the way, a little disappointing. LeBron was on the list to be there, but he didn't speak. So I don't know. Why was he on the list? I have no idea what that was about. Oh, that's a long, that's a, that's a long discussion. But I, the point I was going to make is that yes. one of the things the Dodgers have done with their bullpen is sign as many players as they could, relief pitchers, and they would have three to where most teams would have one. So if uh, Kansas City signed three new relief pitchers, the Dodgers would have six or nine, and their feeling was and some of those guys would be cut, some of them would end up in the minors, but they would they figured 
a couple of these guys are going to be okay. We don't know which ones. So if we have a bigger pool, we've got a better chance yep. of getting success. It's all about depth and flexibility. And it looks like the Lakers have done some of this with the guard position. Uh, and does the cream come to the top? Who knows? Uh, they've got question marks. Uh, they've got more question marks than the Clippers, but they also have just as high a, a ceiling, perhaps. Uh, you remember uh, Rob Polinka was talking about uh, Cousins being the X factor. Sure. And and one of my thoughts are I think I think LeBron's the X factor. <laughs> uh, I won't downplay Cousins. If Cousins is healthy and can fit in, they can use and and Vogel can use a two a two bigs system similar to what uh, say uh, San Antonio had for years. Uh, they'll be in good shape. But where exactly is LeBron physically and mentally today? Uh, when I hear it said he's one of the top three or five players in the in the in the league without question i go we don't know that uh it's all on paper season, yeah last season uh i did two little mini surveys uh at staples uh there there were a half a dozen or so people in various capacities uh around the team who are there all the time, and I asked them to give me a list of the top ten players in the league. A couple did not include LeBron. Separately, I talked to several scouts, uh, and I didn't ask them for a list, but what I did is I would, in a conversation, I would go, I would, I'd make it, I'd comment about LeBron saying, hey, he's not the stud he was and a couple of scouts looked at me like I was crazy. A couple of scouts kind of grinned and said, you're right, and they list the things that he doesn't do anymore. Uh, can he be revitalized? Uh, is there enough gas in the can, in the tank? Uh, we'll find out. Yeah, how much and, will load management come into play the next yeah. year, right? Yeah, and also remember the... NBA season is two seasons. Maybe it's three up until January. Then after January, there's a, somewhere in January, February, there's kind of a a lull. And can you fight through that? Sort of like the dog days of summer in baseball. Yes. And then there's the, the playoffs, and defense becomes so much more important. Uh, you know, guys come out there. They're you know they're breathing fire, uh, and can he deal with all of that? Uh, do they have to rest him twenty uh, percent of the season to keep him healthy? Uh, a hamstring. You know, I'm not a doctor, obviously, uh, <laughs> but as you get older, and we've watched athletes, when you get older and start pulling a hamstring, you know what load management? What can he do, uh, and how do you? And what happens if they, the second month of the season, 
they go on a five-game, uh, they go on a six-game, seven-game road trip, and they win one or two games. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, will will the best friends last? Will they still be friends after that? Will they be coachable? Uh, how will the coach react? You know, remember, Kobe and Shaq became not enemies so much as they could no longer coexist because of their very, very different personalities. Yep. I will not predict that in this situation because the added factor here is they have the same agent. Yeah, I don't even I, I, I don't know how that would ever come into play because there's no Kobe factor here where it's my way or the highway that I see. Yes. And yeah. and also Kobe's, you know, you almost couldn't blame him because Shaq was lazy and getting heavy and and here's Kobe working his ass off every day and he was saying I don't I don't even respect you anymore. So a yeah. lot of that came into play. And Shaq was still the you know, the, the problem you had with Shaq is it's easy to say he never reached his potential because he didn't work hard. You know what? He, in my opinion, if he was close to his potential, he would have won several championships. Okay, but there's another factor. There's an emotional factor. You are who you are. Oh, no doubt. Uh, Vlad Guerrero, whose name is in the news today because of his son, right? Yep. Vlad Guerrero. He's just a dad now. <laughs> was, a, was a marvelous hitter, right? Sure. Okay, totally undisciplined. Asked Mike Social one night, what would happen if he was a disciplined hitter? He wouldn't be the same guy. Instead of being a 330 hitter, is he a 390 hitter, a 360 hitter? Social's response was, maybe, or maybe he's a 240 hitter, because this is how he plays. Sort of like Clemente was. And he's pretty darn good the way he plays. Exactly. So you don't mess around, even though he's doing it not by the book. So if Shaq had gotten, just become a workaholic like Kobe, would he have then become so tense that he couldn't play? I I don't see. That's why I I don't think so. Because, you know, Shaq was, (laughs) I I don't know if anything made him tense. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so, but the thing is, this is who he was. Right. Uh, I've told you the Eldon Campbell story where, you know, Eldon was very, very up and down. Uh, at one point of his career, he was one of the half dozen best bigs in the league, which is pretty good. Not a superstar, but good. Yes. Uh, people tended to pick on the, the nights that he just wasn't there. And I asked, I'd asked, I'd I kind of needled Jerry West about it once, and West barked at me that Eldon's going to show up for 60 games a year, <laughs> and he, then he barked, accept it, because Jerry understood That's who he is. he's still one of the better players in the league. He's just not as good as he could be. <laughs> and But, no, he couldn't be better because of every the league. Ni- yes, every night I meant. Yeah, but the thing is, we look at your shooting ability, your rebounding ability, well, your mental ability is something else, too. Or your lack of. Yeah. I mean, so that's that's how you're wired. And, you know, it's easy to say, yeah, if he had been this and this, but they can say the same thing about you or me or anybody who's listening. There are things that we all could do better 
but if we've tried our best and we can't do it, that's just where we are. Absolutely. And for somebody else to say, hey, you should be doing better. Well, wait a minute. You can't get inside me. You don't know how hard I try. <laughs> yeah, and some people also don't show how hard they try. Yes. Which is part of the problem because then it's a bad perception. They don't look like they're not trying hard, and that's just who they are. So uh, well, we, we, we only have a couple more minutes, Mike. I want to get into okay. uh, one-two punches of the Lakers and the Clippers and how we think they're going to work out together with Kawhi and Paul George, LeBron and Anthony Davis. How is this going to manifest itself in W's for the long haul? How do you see it? Well, I think the Lakers have one little edge in that LeBron is a facilitator. So if we just isolate it to him and Anthony, they've got an edge there because the Clippers don't have that facilitator. Uh, you've got two super wings, but who's the facilitator? Okay, so your next step is Doc smart enough? Does he have the, the right players to fit that role? Uh, and the same thing is if LeBron has to be the point guard, it has, has been discussed, how much energy is that going to take? Absolutely. Uh, it's a definite issue. Uh, forget the X factor. It's the XYZ factor for the whole season. Yeah. And we haven't seen Davis as much as we've seen Kawhi. Uh, is Davis one of the two or three play, best players in the league? Uh, he kind of fell into the shadows a little last year. Uh, the three best players maybe were KD, uh, Kawhi, who do you want to put a third? Well, you can put Steph in there just for what he is. Uh, Steph, okay. and maybe the Greek freak. Absolutely. Okay. Is Davis in that group? I think he is. I love his hey. game. I, by the way, I, we talked about it before. His X factor is his character. This guy is a quality guy, and I was really impressed with how he handled himself yesterday in the news conference. And Anthony Davis comes across to me like the ultimate team guy, whatever it takes. And you got to love that. And he certainly did it with his contract, and not everybody would do, though. Yeah, so if he belongs in the ultimate group. Yeah, he's the top five. Then, then they, you know, if he's as effective a player as Kawhi, then it's going to come down to health. Which team is healthier? And also, which just, which team creates and develops the chemistry? I would say that right now, talking today, the Clippers have an edge because they've been together longer, the core group. Yeah, not very long, but, uh, but longer than these guys because they're all new. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because so Doc knows all, uh, Rivers knows all those guys. Sure. And they know him. They know what to expect. They've got a, a team mentality that we're grinders. And both George and Kawhi are grinders who are immensely talented. Uh, but, uh, you know, you know the stories of, you know, they both, neither guy had a, uh, a major D1 
scholarship offer, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Chips on their shoulders until the day they leave us. <laughs> yeah, they're well, they're they're guys who had to grind all the way. And is that what you'd rather have on your side? Yeah. So I think that gives them an edge going in. Uh, LeBron's veteran savvy. I'm not going to call him the smartest player in the league. The smartest player in the league might be somebody who sits on the bench somewhere and doesn't have the talent. But the, the thing that I learned watching him last year, probably above anything else, is just how savvy he is on the court. Yeah. Uh, he understands angles. All the stuff that comes from playing year after year after year, and I'll get back to it, it all depends on uh, how fast his mus- muscles still twitch. Yeah, and what I want to add is the fact that the way the Clippers are set up here, on paper, they may be the deepest defensive team ever. It's unbelievable how good they can be. Yeah, and that's, if, again, you look at the Lakers, and they have some very, very big flaws on defense. The key for Davis, Davis is a power rebounder. He's a shot blocker. How good does he play defense other than those two aspects? And Vogel thinks he's very good at that aspect of playing defense. And if that's true, that will cover some of their mistakes. You won't notice Kuzma's weakness on defense as much. Yeah, but you'll also have some older guys out there as well that are also going to be asked to play defense. You know, you bring in a Jared Dudley and a and obviously Rondo and some of those guys that are uh, on the other side of the hill, uh, they, I don't know how long they could continue to do that for the entire season. Yeah, a short summary would be the Lakers do have more question marks right now. Yep. And, and with all the excitement of the acquisitions, the question marks are not being discussed much. That'll be the next phase of the coverage as we go into the season. That's what training people, camp's for, too. Yeah. <laughs> people will start looking at this stuff, and then we'll get the, everybody gets to watch and see uh, what they do. And, you know, if, if I have to give a view, the chances of the Clippers winning a championship are much greater, which is why Vegas has made them the favorite. If the Lakers win a championship, I don't know if a team that's been put together like this that won it the first time around. Absolutely. It's not easy. So that factor in the players not knowing each other, the defensive potential problems, I'll be more surprised if the Lakers were to win it. But they've got one of the all-time winners at their starting point and a very, very talented young man. So I would not be stunned if they win a championship. First, they got to get themselves in position. So LeBron, if he's healthy and full speed ahead in the playoffs, he could do things that he doesn't need in Anthony Davis. But if he's got him, that puts you in a great spot. Yes. Absolutely. Well, I really enjoyed the chat, Mike. And, uh, you know, we've been talking forever, and I thought, you know, you'd be a great guy to have on the podcast. And uh, you certainly – gave the folks a lot of your background, which is a hell of a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you at training camp. All righty. Thanks, Mike.
Okay, thank you. So there you have it. That's Mike Waldner, a columnist for the South Bay Daily Breeze since the middle 60s. And he knows his stuff, folks. And thanks again for joining us here on Touching Greatness, the podcast. It was a blast to talk to Lakers and the Clippers just the day after Mike and I were at the Anthony Davis News Conference. And like I said, a very impressive kid. We'll see how he does in the purple and gold. And on this same day that there was true greatness going on at Wimbledon, we're recording this on Sunday, July the 14th, just happens to be my birthday, it was an incredible match at Wimbledon, Roger Federer going the distance, and I mean the distance, the first ever tie break after five sets in a major championship, and he falls to Novak Djokovic. It was an incredible tournament to watch, and uh, what a way to wrap things up at the All England Club. So until next time, I am still Ted Sobel. Thanks for listening, everybody. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.